The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. On this week's Court TV podcast, we have a clearer picture of how the former Minneapolis police officers intend to defend themselves for the death of George Floyd by putting the blame on Floyd himself. Court TV's Michael Ayala will join me with the latest details, including body camera footage from a 2019 George Floyd arrest. But does that footage make the cops look better or worse? Defense attorney Bernarda Villalona will tell us what she thinks and I'll explain why it's time to look at all of this without emotion. This is the Court TV Podcast with Vinny Politan. Welcome to the Court TV Podcast. I'm Vinny Politan. Thank you so much for downloading and listening to the program. Really do appreciate it. And uh, we're talking about one of the big ones uh, today. And, and we're talking about the George Floyd murder case. And there have been developments uh, throughout our coverage of this case, um, beginning in the summer, now we're into the fall, and things are happening each and every week. And something that has just happened um, is really interesting because it goes to the whole defense of this case, the defense theory, what they want to do, what they want to get in front of the jury. And as we know, and we've seen the body cam footage from the day George Floyd died, that was uh, released because the defense... um, put that in a motion and attached it to their documents, knowing that people like me and Court TV would get our hands on it and the public would see it. So the public has seen the 2020 arrest. Well, they took it one step further, and they filed a motion um, involving George Floyd's arrest back in 2019. And what the defense wants to get in front of the public, number one, and then ultimately the jury, is that, Uh, George Floyd has a pattern of behavior when he is confronted by police. Now, they attached the video to a motion, and as a result, it became a public document. Even though it's a video, it's a public document. And once again, people like me and Court TV got our hands on it, and we now have it. So what I want to do is put just a little bit of context on it and then play for you the two body cams, because what the defense is saying is that there is a parallel in the behavior of George Floyd. When he is approached by police, this is the way he acts. So when you look at that 2020 video in a vacuum, you might think that something horrible has happened, that police are treating him in such a horrible way. I'm talking about the initial arrest. And this, again, this is what the defense is arguing, okay? This is what the defense is. I'm reporting it, ladies and gentlemen, okay? Just want to make that clear. So the defense is arguing that, listen, it's not the, the actions of the police that kind of set off the tone of everything. This is the way George Floyd acts. So in order to attempt to prove that to the public and ultimately to a jury, they want everyone to see the 2019 arrest of George Floyd, and they say there's an exact parallel between the two. So let me do this for you, ladies and gentlemen. I am going to play, and the, and the audio is, is as compelling as the video. I'm going to play for you the 2020 arrest and the 2019 arrest. I will begin with the one that you know already, which is the 2020 arrest of George Floyd. This is the initial approach by former officer Lane. Take a listen. You see your hands. 
Let me see your other hand. Both hands. Put your hands up right now. Let me see your other hand. Put your hand up there. Put your hand up there. Keep your hands on the wheel. Keep your hands on the wheel. Who else is in the car? Put your foot back in. I'm so sorry. Dang, man. Man, I got, I got shot the same way as I was before. Okay, well, when I say let me I'm see sorry. your hands, you put your oh, hands up. Man, I'm so sorry, Mr. Officer. You got them? Man, dang, man. Put your hands on top of your head. Man, Mr. Officer. Man, I got shot like that, Mr. Officer. Hands on top of your head. Hands on top of your head. Step out of the vehicle and step away from me, all right? Step out and face away. <laughs> Okay, so that's 2020. Now let's go back. It's almost exactly one year prior. It's the same month. So it's one year prior. George Floyd is in a car. He is not the driver this time. He's not in the driver's seat. He's in the passenger seat. The car gets pulled over. And when they pull the car over, one of the officers approaches the passenger side where George Floyd is. And again, the defense is saying, watch this video. Listen to what is going on here. This is almost an exact duplicate of what happened in 2020. I'll let you be the judge, though. Let's take a listen. What are you doing? Can you undo your uh, seatbelt, sir? Sir, passenger, can you undo your seatbelt? Go, go ahead and undo your seatbelt. I, I, don't, I don't plan on shooting you. I'm just saying, just take, it, take your time. Okay, relax. Just undo your seatbelt. Let her take care of her guy. Just keep your hands out where I can see him. Hey! Let me... Keep your hands where I can see him! Okay? Put him up on the dash. Put him on the dash. I'm not going to shoot you. Put your hands on the dash! Put your hands on the dash. The last time I'm going to tell you that. It's simple. He keeps hey, moving his hands around. He keep, he won't listen to what I have to say. Okay. On your head. Open your mouth. Spit out what you got. Spit out what you got. I'm gonna tase you. Spit it out. Don't you jerk away from me. Put your hands behind your. That was one yellow pill, boss. Okay. Now slowly come on out. Hand under your head. Hand on your head. Okay, relax then. All right, so there you have That's 2020 and 2019. Let me bring in, uh, because he's super smart, very opinionated, and very experienced, knows his way around a courtroom, knows his way around these cases. Um, Michael Ayala, Court TV anchor with us. Uh, Michael, uh, great to see you. Thanks so much. My pleasure, my pleasure. Do you see these two videos, at least the beginning part where we're talking about the initial approach to George Floyd, do you see them the same way the defense does, that it's almost an exact duplicate of one another? Yeah, I mean, you can't deny that the, the response of George Floyd to the police coming up to the car, the way he responds to the police, um, the fear, the anxiety that he shows, they're very, very similar. Um, there's, nothing, there's nothing to deny there, but what's the point here? That, that's where I'm sort of struggling with. I mean, 
the officers who stopped him in 2020 had no real knowledge of the 2019 arrest. So whether he acted that way in 2019 and then acted that way in 2020, they had no way of knowing that. So they have to respond to the situation as it is presented to them. This was just an attempt by the defense to get this out in front of the public and let people see um, and hopefully sort of quell some of this uh, fervor that sort of fomented over this whole issue. Well, let me ask you, do you think it gives the 2020 incident more context for the jury? Like not just seeing the 2020 video in a vacuum, but seeing it in light of the 2019 video, does it give the jury more context or is it misleading or is it irrelevant? Personally, it's irrelevant because again, the only way it would be relevant in my mind is if one or more of the officers involved in the 2020 arrest were involved in the 2019 arrest. Therefore, they had knowledge of George Floyd, knowledge of how George Floyd responded when he was arrested. Then it would be relevant in the 2020 arrest. I don't think it really gives any context in that way. Um, if they try to present this evidence, the only way they can bring it in is to show that maybe George Floyd is not that nice of a guy. In um, Thomas Tao's motion to get this evidence put into uh, get this put into evidence, they only say they want to use it to show that he was not a great guy. Because what they're telling the prosecution is, if you try to come in with some kind of evidence that George Floyd was a good guy, George Floyd was a gentle giant, and he was a great guy, then we're going to bring this in to show, no, he gets arrested. Now, the ancillary benefit, of course, is how he acted and how that might give people to think about how he acted in 2020. But again, relevancy for the 2020 arrest, I don't see. So uh, what, do you, what do you think the picture is that the jury gets a, of George Floyd? I mean, how much does the jury in the trial or trials, depending upon uh, how this all turns out, how much do they learn about George Floyd? How much do they know about the victim? I think the prosecution has to keep that sort of as small as they possibly can. They'll try to get little bits and pieces about who he is um, into it in front of the jury. They'll also make sure that the family is there to show that he's got folks who love him. I mean, it's gonna be pretty hard to find a jury that doesn't know the entire world blew up uh, behind his death. Um, but I think they have to be careful because if they bring in too much information about his background, they're going to open up the door for the defense to bring in this sort of information about what some of the problems in his life were. Let's face it, he wasn't, you know, squeaky clean in any way. Um, I'm not going to call him a petty criminal because he does have some more serious crimes on his rap sheet. But here is a guy um, who you want to make sure you don't get that information in front of that jury. So as a prosecutor, I got to be careful. Is that a problem for prosecutors? Because I know a lot of times what you want to do in a murder case is bring that victim back to life, to, to have the victim have some sort of a voice in the courtroom. And usually it's, it's, it's up to the prosecutor to do that, either through the way they make the arguments, the way they present the evidence, who they put on the witness stand. Is that going to happen in this case? I mean, what, what you're telling me is almost like you're going to minimize the victim to a certain extent. And I'm always afraid of that as a former prosecutor that, hey, I, I want this jury to understand that someone lost their life. Is, is, is watching him die in the video enough? And, and it may be because rarely, rarely as a prosecutor do I have a piece of evidence of the actual crime and watching a murder victim die. So do you think that does it? in and of itself. 
Yes. Um, you said usually that's the case. You need to humanize your, your victim. Absolutely. That's something you definitely want to do. <clears throat> you want the jury to feel for them. But I don't think you need to do anything here but show that video. You hear his voice. You see him calling for his mom. You see him begging for his life. You hear him saying, I can't breathe. You hear people next to him saying, hey, get off him. You can't. I mean, there's so much there in that video that that does all the talking for you. Prosecutors are very lucky in this case because they do not have to venture into that area that you're talking about, you know, taking the chance of having to bring in evidence about who he was. I think everything you need is right on that tape. And the more you can focus on that tape, the better off your case is, because that's, to me, where the case lies. All right, let's get back to 2019, though. I mean, there's the in the 2019 video, he is seen, allegedly, by the officers there, ingesting drugs. He's approached by police. He's got some pills. He's shoving them in his mouth. On the video, you hear him actually say, it's just one yellow pill. We already know what the defense is going to argue about cause of death here. It's not the knee on the neck, according to the defense. It's the fentanyl. And they say in the 2020 video, you see the fentanyl on his tongue. I don't know what it is, but they're saying that's what it is. You've got the autopsy results where he's got fentanyl in his system and, and not a small amount of fentanyl. Um, does that part of the video, is that relevant? And, and should, a judge allow, should a judge allow that in? You know, from 2019, he's approached by police. He's got drugs. He's got to get rid of the evidence. 2020, the defense is going to argue their theory of the case. He has drugs on him. He gets rid of the evidence. He ingests the drugs. Ultimately, the drugs kill him. Is that fair now to put the 2019 video in for that reason? The only way that video comes in, Vinny, is if, again, the prosecutors slip up. The prosecutors can't make an argument that it's ridiculous for the defense to suggest that he put these pills in his mouth. Now, if they try to make that argument, then the defense has let the prosecution know, I got this video on standby. The minute you try to claim that that claim that he put the pill in his mouth is ridiculous, he would never do that, I've got this to bring in, and that is so damning, I do not want the court, I don't want that tape anywhere near the court. So I'm going to stay away from that argument. So it really serves a number of purposes. As a defense attorney, I'm, letting the, I'm putting the prosecution on notice. Don't make these arguments. Don't try to make George seem like a great guy. Don't try to argue that it's ridiculous to even suggest that he put these pills in his mouth. Because if you do that, I'm just going to bring this video in because then it becomes relevant. The judge will let it in. Right now, he's not going to let it in because it's not probative enough and it's very prejudicial. This is going to be a hard-fought case, isn't it, Michael? This is not going to – I mean, no one's rolling over. You know, through the years in court TV, we've watched so many trials, right? And once in a while, you know, we're not going to, uh, uh, you know, go after the defense attorneys, but sometimes there's some defense attorneys who – not so much that they roll over. They don't have much to work with. There's not much of a battle. It's like, all right, they didn't prove it, ladies and gentlemen. This one isn't like that. This is going to be a, a, a fight inside that courtroom for – Every issue, every piece of evidence, every witness, every question. Yeah, Vinny, this one could take a long time to actually get to trial. There's going to be rulings. There's going to be appeals. Um, but when they finally do get in that courtroom, you're right, Vinny. I don't think the defense for any one of the four is conceding anything. And they have a lot to work with. I mean, you do have the fact that there's an issue with cause of death. You do have the fact that... Um, George is not the greatest guy in the world, and he was under arrest for doing something wrong. Um, you do have the fact that there is an argument to be made that Chauvin was just doing what he, what he was taught to do at the academy. 
So going to be a tough four kicks. Michael Ayala, Court TV anchor. You can watch him every day on your front row seat to justice. Michael, great to uh, have you on the program. You know, I grab you in the middle of the day. You got a lot to do. You got you to get back on the air. This is, this is great. Uh, Michael Ayala, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much. All right. So this 2019 video, does it reveal more about George Floyd or more about the police officers? Hmm. Joining us. Coming up on, on the podcast, Bernarda Villalona, who was an incredible attorney. She spent many, many years as a prosecutor, has tried so many cases. Um, I'm really interested in her perspective on that question. And that is next. true crime series these are the true stories behind the trials renowned journalist ashley banfield takes you behind the scenes of the most compelling cases in history we focus on the detail we focus on the evidence and investigates the murders lies and alibis that led to justice in the courtroom this is the new chapter in true crime judgment with ashley banfield all new episodes sunday nights at eight on court tv So this 2019 video that is now in the public that the defense wants to get in front of the jury, and again, it'll be up to the judge to decide whether or not it gets in front of the jury, but I've been talking to a lot of people about this video, and not everyone agrees about what it actually reveals. You know, I look at it, and I think it reveals a lot about George Floyd. For me, it puts a little more perspective on the 2020 video because I saw a man who was so emotional, and I, and I couldn't figure out exactly why. And then I saw the same thing in the 2019 video, and I'm like, okay, it tells me a lot about George Floyd. You know, when he's confronted by police, it, it, to me it does reveal something about him, puts a little more perspective on the 2020, at least part of that video for me. Because a lot of people were saying, you know, once Officer Lane in 2020, when he first approaches George Floyd, pulls out his weapon, and George Floyd reacts the way he reacts, it's, it's because of the police officer pulling the weapon on him. And then the 2019 video, the weapon isn't pulled on him, and he's acting the same way. So to me, the 2019 illuminates a little bit more about the personality and the demeanor of George Floyd. But does it reveal anything about police officers? Joining us now, Bernardo Villalona, who spent many years as a homicide prosecutor in tough cities like New York and Philly and is now uh, working... Uh, as a as an attorney, I guess a defense attorney now, uh, with another great friend of mine, Joey Jackson uh, in New York, joins us. Bernardo, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Vinny. Say, I, I like her just because of that accent. <laughs> you know, I moved out of the Northeast. I'm down here in the South these days, and I miss it. And uh, Bernardo, uh, that's another reason why uh, it's awesome to have you on the show. All right, so this is the part of the podcast where um, I kind of see things a little bit differently than the guests we bring on. Tell me from your perspective why you believe this 2019 video is much more revealing about the police than, than George Floyd. So, Vinny, this 2019 video is more revealing. It does give some credibility to the officers in 2020. And this is the reason why, Vinny. 
So you see that the 2019 officers, they immediately at some point, they're, they're more aggressive with George Floyd than the 2020 officers. So it kind of makes the 2020 officers actually look better than the 2019 officers because the 2019 officers were so aggressive and were so hands-on on George Floyd. And you can see from the video, actually had the firearm pointed and very close to the body of George Floyd. You don't really have that in 2020. The officers that were charged, once the threat is over where they take George Floyd out, the gun never comes back out from their holster. So instead they took the path that's least resistant when they were trying to calm down and take into custody George Floyd. So when you look at the two videos, you're looking at it and saying, okay, officers acting one way in 2019 uh, and then in, in 2020. So do you think if a jury sees both videos, and we don't know if they're going to, if, if a jury sees both of these videos, they may look at the 2020 officers, the ones charged with murder, um, in, in, in perhaps a little bit of a better light? So I think that the that the jury will look at them in a better light, but the defense attorneys are going to have to be very cautious of how they spin it. You know, they're going to have to address this in opening statements and also in closing statements and say why, what, what are the differences? Because if they don't do that, then what they're showing by, by showing that 2019 video is that they're getting sympathy for George Floyd. So do you think... First of all, do you think the jury should see both? Do you, and, and my concern in every case, right, I'm a former prosecutor. I know that's the way I see the world. But ultimately, as a former prosecutor, I'm interested in justice, which is the truth, right? Which, which do you think if the jury sees both videos, it gets them closer to the truth? Or does it give them some distorted view of what happened in 2020? Because... We've got to, I mean, this jury has to figure out what happened, why it happened, why the officers did what they did, and ultimately what it means in relation to the laws of Minnesota. Do you think we get there by having the jury see 2019 as well as 2020, or should they just be focused on 2020 to get to the truth of what happened? Look, Vinny, let's just be real. That 2019 video is just smoking mirrors. It has no relevance as to what happened in 2020. That 2019 video, you're dealing with completely different officers. None of those officers were involved in the death of George Floyd on May 25th of 2020. So 2019 has no relevance. It is not Provative. It doesn't help you to determine what was in the mind of those four officers when they were involved in holding George Floyd down on the ground. It doesn't tell us. It doesn't move the ball. So it has no relevance as to what happened in 2020. It doesn't go to the elements of the crime. It doesn't go to the mental intent of the officers. If anything, it just shows a bad light on George Floyd that, one, he has had encounters with police officers, and, two, that he is on drugs because the 2019 video, he pops a yellow pill uh, as the officers are trying to apprehend him. 2019 has no relevance. It should be kept out. Leave those smoking mirrors for something else. So when the defense makes the argument to this jury that George Floyd died 
from a fentanyl overdose and that he popped that pill in his mouth. Should the jury understand that in the past when he was approached by police, he put drugs in his mouth? That it's his, and this is what the defense is arguing. It's, it's his modus operandi. When, it, when, it, when he gets approached by police, he's got drugs in his possession. He knows what's going to happen to him if, in fact, police recover these drugs and, and, and the amount of drugs, so I ingest them. I mean, this is not uncommon, right? I've spoken to, uh, uh, you know, DEA agents who have told me, yeah, th- this happens all the time. When, when suspects are in the possession of drugs, many times they will ingest the drugs because now they're no longer in possession of them, and the charges against them will be less. And they understand that as people who get uh, arrested from time to time. Um, is it fair for the jury to know this is, at least according to the defense's theory, is it fair for them to know that, hey, he's done this in the past? No, not at all, Vinny, because George Floyd was not being apprehended for possession of drugs, and none of the officers claimed that they saw drugs on George Floyd, so it's not relevant in that regard. If they want to talk about that George Floyd, since he was foaming at the mouth and they needed to restrain him the way that they did, then the proper way to look at it is focusing on the toxicology report from the medical examiner. It's not going to something that happened in 2019. It's too far apart from May 25th, 2020, almost a year apart. So that is of no relevance. If anything, the toxicology, an expert would be able to testify how long were those narcotics in his system in proportion to the time of the arrest and how Mr. Floyd was reacting when the officers were interacting with him, especially with the phone that was coming out of his mouth. Bernardo, when you see the, the, the videos and you see the way George Floyd is acting, why do you think he's acting that way? Is that just who he is? Is it the um, influence of some drugs that may or may not be in his system? Is it a reaction to the way he's being treated by police? Or what, what, what are you seeing there? And then ultimately, um, how do we figure it out? So, Vinny, it looks to me that his reactions is a culmination of all those things. One, you can tell that, of course, George Floyd, he was under the influence of something. But two, George Floyd has a genuine fear of police officers. He's genuinely traumatized by police officers based on his interactions from the past. And that is clearly displayed in 2019 and 2020. He responds to both set of officers, please don't shoot me. Please don't shoot me. And I believe that George Floyd in the past was actually shot by someone. I'm not 100% sure about that. But what we're seeing in both arrests is a man that is traumatized and is in fear for his life when he has any kind of interaction with police officers. That's what we're seeing. Okay. And, and, and I, I may agree with you there. I, I agree with you because George, something happened to George Floyd, and I believe it was, you know, he was shot by police in the past. At least that's what he is, has said a lot. And that is concern number one every time he's approached by police. Uh, police, the concern of police every time they approach him is, where are your hands, George Floyd? Where are your hands? So for someone who's been shot by police in the past, and now in two instances, in 2019 and 2020, both times, is is not is not putting his hands where police want them to be. He's not showing his hands to police. Why is that? Why is that? 
Well, one in both in both instances, he is in possession of some kind of narcotic. I believe in 2020, um, I'm sorry, in 2020, they were saying that he was trying to stuff counterfeit bills on the side of the chair. So what you have in 2019, one, he's in possession of drugs, so he's trying to hide it allegedly. 2020, he's in possession of counterfeit money, so he's trying to hide it and get rid of it. So I think that is the response he has in terms of responding to the police officer. That's why he's acting the way that he is and not showing his hands in the time that the police officers want him to show his hands. So ultimately, should a jury know that? I don't think a jury should know that. They need to focus on what happened on May 25th, 2020. That is what the jury is being selected to decide. They are not being selected to decide what happened in the past of George Floyd, because in the end, George Floyd is not the one on trial. The ones on trial are those four former police officers. All right. I'm, I'm fascinated in your opinion on this. This is a murder case. This is what you did for so many, many years. Do you think this is an easy murder case or a difficult murder case for prosecutors against Chauvin, Mr. Knee on the Neck, number one, and then number two, the other three officers? So it's a difficult case, not just because of the facts for the prosecutor, but it's a difficult case because of the pressure. It's a difficult case because of the media, not just local media, but media from all around the country and all around the world and all that pressure that's going to be put on them. Also, you're dealing with emotions. The jurors will have some emotions, whether it's to George Floyd or for the police officers, because I'm sure the police officers, when they woke up on that day, wasn't like, oh, I'm going out to kill someone. So you don't know what's going to happen because when you decide to go with a jury trial, remember, there are no guarantees that there's a conviction. There are no guarantees that there will be an acquittal. You are basing your life and your case for the prosecution in the hands of 12 total strangers to make a decision. If you take emotion out of it, which will be very difficult to do, if you take emotion out of it and just look at the plain letter of the law, and reality is that all four of the officers, they'd be in charge with pretty much like a felony murder that they intended to commit an assault in the third degree. And if you read the plain language of assault, what it is, it's defined as the act of intentionally inflicting bodily harm or attempting to inflict bodily harm or acting in a way that causes fear of bodily harm. And I think that's what gets the defendants in trouble, that third part, because it they, they act in a way that caused fear to George Floyd, and that's why he was responding in the way that he was. So there's so many different ways to argue this, but then again, it's a jury trial. It's going to be difficult on both sides. It's going to be a battle, Vinny. You know, I think they need you on, your, on their team. I really do. <laughs> Honestly, I, I, you know, they, they're, they're getting people from all over the place, and uh, maybe they should bring you in as a special uh, Joey prosecutor. Joey Jackson. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no Bernardo Villalona, great to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for sharing your uh, insight and perspective today. Please come back soon. Thank you, Vinny. All right. You heard Bernardo talking about emotion, and, and that is such a big part of this story, this case, and ultimately this trial. But I think it's time that we've got to just put the emotion aside and, and focus on what needs to be proven here, how prosecutors can actually get a conviction. That is next.
For more Court TV, watch it on cable, over the air, Roku, or go to CourtTV.com and stream live gavel-to-gavel coverage. Catch up on the big moments from our current cases and relive some of Court TV's most historic trials. Court TV, your front row seat to justice. This is such an emotionally charged story, case, and, and now a trial. I mean, you cannot remove the emotion and the visceral reaction that everyone has had to the death of George Floyd. But that emotion has to be put aside. And, and it's time to do that because we are, we are past seeing all the videos. We, we, we've seen the impact that this has had on our system, the protests, everything else. And so much of that is emotionally driven. But once you get inside a courtroom, once you get inside a courtroom and you've got 12 people that you've got to convince beyond any and all reasonable doubt, I've seen it so many times that you've got to get past the emotion because you have to prove a case. Ultimately, 12 people will not be convinced beyond any and all reasonable doubt merely by the emotion of a case. I've seen it too many times, especially in high-profile cases, where there's this outrage and the pitchforks are out, and we understand that. And sometimes as prosecutors, which I am a former one, you can be, you can get caught up in all of that, and you can perhaps think that is going to be enough to, to win the day. And it's not going to be, especially in a case like this, because you are going up against four sets of attorneys, four sets of defense attorneys who will fight you tooth and nail, and four sets of attorneys that ultimately are going to make arguments to this jury, of which you will make one, okay? Especially if, if everything is kept together. If it is kept together as one case, you're going against four sets of, of attorneys who will be making their arguments and trying to marshal this jury into the way they see the case. And ultimately, as a prosecutor, you have to prove each element of the crime beyond a reasonable doubt. And you can't prove it with emotion. You need to prove it with facts and, and valid arguments. And, and here is, and Bernarda got right to it. I mean, she is on it. That's why I had her on the podcast. She knows what she's talking about. The, the intent in this case is the weak link for prosecutors. And when I say that, it's the toughest part of the case for them to prove. Because they are charging murder here. And, and as Bernarda said, it's, it's really Minnesota's version of felony murder, okay? So the underlying uh, felony is the assault on, on, on George Floyd. So when you get to the issue of intent, you can't rely upon, oh, they should have done this. How could they do that? Where, where are their hearts? Where's their humanity? I understand that's part of the case, and that's the reaction to the videos that we've seen. But now... You have charged them with murder. You haven't charged them with being reckless. You haven't charged them with failing to act or failing to react. You've charged them with murder, intentional conduct. 
Okay? Now, it's felony murder, so it's not intentionally killing him, but it's intentionally committing this crime of assault. And then that's for Chauvin. For the other three, it's it's aiding and abetting, right? And it's being, you know, it's helping him get this done. And in Minnesota, you've got to prove that they knew at some point it was Chauvin's intent to commit a crime. And they then acted to make sure he could do that. Wow. That's a heavy lift, okay? So the emotion is not going to get there. The emotion will not get you there in Minnesota or anywhere else. That, oh, those other three officers, how could they just, how could they just sit there? How could they not do something? No, no, that's not enough to prove this case. So, so let's get the emotion to the side for a second here, both as, as the prosecution and the way that everyone else is looking at this case and say, okay, okay, at what point and, and what evidence can I use to prove that they knew, they knew that Chauvin was intending to assault George Floyd? When, when, when did they know that that was his intent and it wasn't to merely restrain him until the EMTs arrived? Okay, when is it? And, and how do we prove to the jury? Again, intent is so always difficult for prosecutors because you've got to get inside the mind of the defendant. And there's nothing that they have said. There's, there's no, at no point, and there is no evidence of these defendants saying, hey, we got to hurt this guy because he's resisting re- arrest. Let's hurt him. You're not going to have that. You, you don't have that. Okay? There are actual cases where you may have emails, text messages, or you may have one person saying, oh, yeah, this is when we had this conversation, you know, for, to, to all get together and we were going we to do this. That doesn't exist in this case. So it's only done through somehow inferring the actions of these defendants tell you what is on their mind. And at what point can you prove that without the emotion? That's going to be tough. And that's where prosecutors need to focus their energies and need to focus their arguments and need to focus their case. You know, you're going to come in and talk about how outrageous all of this is, and we all agree it is. But ultimately, this case is going to boil down to what the prosecutors have to prove. And you can't prove that with emotion because you've got four sets of defense attorneys who will not allow you to do that, who will fold, hold your feet to the fire of what is required of you as a prosecutor. This is very similar to what I saw. I'm going to say it. I can't believe it in the Casey Anthony case. It's a super high-profile case. It was an emotionally charged case, obviously very different than this, but not so different from this in that there was a lot of emotion about the death of this child. Oh, my goodness, how could this happen? How could any mother do that? And here it's the same thing. How could these police officers do that? But then when you get inside a courtroom and you've got 12 people, 12 people who have not been so emotionally impacted by this case that they made it through jury selection and are able to be fair and impartial, because that's who you're going to have. 
You're not going to have on this jury people are like, oh, this is outrageous. No way. Send them away. Put them in, put them in jail. Throw away the key forever. How could they do that? No, you're going to end up with 12 people who probably saw the video, but despite that said, you know what? I, I can be fair and impartial and base my verdict solely on the evidence presented and the law given to me by the judge which is why you've got to take the emotion. And it is time to take the emotion out of this case because now this thing is moving forward towards a trial or trials. And prosecutors got to line up their case and they've got to be able to convince the jury and they've got to focus their case exclusively there. Don't go into that courtroom thinking that just the emotion is going to get it done because I've seen it way too many times before, and I don't want to see a repeat of that. Never again. Never again. All right, folks, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. I'm also on television on the network known as Court TV, by the way. Court TV is back. You can get us uh, just about anywhere. You can get us with a digital antenna. And if you have one of those digital antennas, please scan it and rescan it so you can get our signal and watch us each and every day with our gavel to gavel trial coverage. And of course, my program every night from 8 to 11 on your front row seat to justice. I'm Vinny Politan. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great week. And as always, don't forget to hug the kids. This podcast is a production of Court TV. Go to CourtTV.com for more content, trials on demand, and to find out how to watch Court TV in your area.